Beck Dory Stein is a graduate of Wesleyan University and the author of From the Corner of the Oval, released in July from Spiegel and Growl. Dory Stein was a White House stenographer from 2012 to 2017, mostly under President Barack Obama, but with a short tenure under President Donald Trump. Prior to her five years in the White House, she taught high school English in Hightstown, New Jersey, Washington, D.C., and Seoul, South Korea. From the Corner of the Oval is her first book. Ms. Dory Stein has appeared on MSNBC, CNN, and NBC, and an op-ed was printed in the New York Times. She currently lives in her native Pennsylvania. Welcome to Think Humanities, Beck. I'm so excited uh, to have you at the first annual Kentucky Book Festival this year, and so excited to talk to you today about um, your career and your book and uh, and you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited, too. <laughs> okay, well, um, I just want to talk a little bit, sort of begin at the very beginning, if, if you wouldn't mind, for you know those of us who haven't read the book, but... Um, if you just kind of tell us how you got to the White House to start, that's that's not a very common thing. It's not a common thing. And most people don't end up at the White House through a job on Craigslist, which makes <laughs> mine an especially Cinderella-y kind of story. Um, so in 2012, I was living in Washington, D.C. I was working five part-time jobs, just trying to make ends meet and scraping by, trying to find one full-time job. I thought, maybe I'd want to go to law school eventually. So I applied to a job on Craigslist to be a paralegal at a law firm thinking, or a stenographer at a law firm thinking maybe eventually I'd want to be, I'd move up to be a paralegal. And I ended up blowing off that interview because one of my five jobs was working at Lululemon and my shift ran late. And I was like, ah, I like Lululemon and teaching more than I'm going to like this law firm job anyway. So I blew off the interview and then I don't know, by the grace of God, this woman actually wrote to me and was like, hey, I know you missed this interview, but just so you know, this is actually a job at the White House and you'd be traveling with the president. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, president of what? What are you talking about? This is a job on Craigslist. I was pretty sure this like wasn't even, you know, it was like some shady drug deal or like I was going to get abducted by men. Um, And so it was just this crazy turn of events. I did end up quitting my five part-time jobs. I was hired as a White House stenographer, which means that I'm recording anything the president says in front of a member of the press. Um, So his on the record and off the record background briefings with the press, the daily press briefing with the press secretary, also any interviews conducted in the Oval Office or on Air Force One. I basically got to be paid for being his stalker for five years. So it was a dream come (laughs) true. Because it turns out I'm like a very good creeper. And and so I just got to kind of find the corner in every room that he was in and hold out my microphone or hold out my recorder and transcribe history. And so I did that for five years. And then I stayed for two months with the Trump administration. And the whole time I was there, I think because, you know, before this, I was a high school English teacher and just who I am as a person, I was always writing. And so when I left the White House, I basically already had the book done because I had just been writing all of these stories in the moment that they were happening. Okay. Yeah, that was actually my next question, you know, was, did you write your journal every day? Um, you know, how, how were you able to, were you able to sort of do this so accurately? And then, you know, what was the process of turning it into a narrative like, or was it really, or, or was the conversion not that difficult really for you? 
No, it was, it was, well, it wasn't difficult, but it started off because I, I felt really fortunate, um, not just to fly on Air Force One and to be there as history unfolded, but also I got to see these really brilliant minds in action. And so, um, as someone who, you know, when you're in a classroom, I always think of, I think, cause I was a teacher, it's like when you're in a classroom and you have to worry about getting called on, you're always sort of on the edge of your seat, but I knew I was never going to get called on. My whole job was to be invisible. And so I really, in every one of those interviews and meetings, I just got to observe the interaction itself and the scene itself when everyone else was like, well, I have to do this and then this, or like, I need to remind him to do this. It, I was just recording and my recorder was doing that for me. And so um, I was writing in a journal at night, but also in the mornings, I would wake up really early and go for a run and get my brain going. And then I would just write until I had to go to work. Um, and on the flights home from foreign trips, you know, those trips are really where things happen. Um, and on the flights home or on the flights between countries, I would also be typing up a storm, just trying to get it all down and trying to fill in the detail as much as possible. Um, and so in the beginning, it was actually I envisioned it being this collection of essays and almost profiles of not just the president himself in his various roles as, mm -hmm. you know, a leader, but also as a dad and as a husband and as like, you know, kind of like our coach half the time. And as the person <laughs> who was working out next to me on a treadmill in a hotel gym, like he was all of these things in one. Yeah. And so in addition to writing about him, I wanted to write about senior staff and I wanted to write about uh, middle level staff. And also I was very low on the totem pole, but I had a lot of fun interactions with people you know it's like oh there's Bill Nye in the guest cabin of Air Force One huh uh, and so I wanted to kind of capture all of the ways that we all interacted with each other because one of the things I grew to appreciate the most was just how many people it takes to make the White House run um, which now is is great that there are so many different people involved but um, that really just blew my mind meeting these people. And I was like, what? I didn't realize you had to. Of course, of course, there's someone who's just like flying a fighter jet, you know, three seconds away from Air Force One at any given point. Um, and so I wanted to capture all of that. And then that was going to be a collection of essays. And it turned into um, a memoir only after I got some really good advice. And it turned out, hey, you got your job on Craigslist. Like, who are you? You're such a freak. Why wouldn't you write about your own story? And so it all of a sudden went from fly on the wall, Nick Carraway kind of observer to, hey, this is what happened to me. This is crazy. And trying to capture all of it but from a first person narrative. And that is an, and that is such a cool, that is such a unique sort of perspective because you are, like you said, watching history unfold, but you're also living your own very personal history. Um, you know, I, I always say that your mid-20s are kind of chaotic and then and then trying to uh, trying to make it through those years in the White House just seems like, oh, my gosh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I can barely make it through it. And, you know, my little town of Lexington. So, you know, it's just uh, that's a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, but it does sound like you had a lot of really great mentors. And of course, I'm, I'm referring a little bit to the story of you giving one of those essays to David Frum, I believe. Um, uh, David Plutt. Yeah. David Plutt. Sorry. Yes. Yes. And he, um, I think, it, it, you know, he was very flattered from what I remember. And um, and I think it was it him, he, it was he that encouraged you. Did he encourage you to make this into a larger book or? Um, no, I but I mean, that's okay. also, yeah, that was, um, yeah, I like to say that your 20s are still your 20s, even if you are at the White House. And so you can't escape that kind of personal drama 
and falling in love with the wrong person and trying to figure out who your real friends are and going towards the good when you just want to go towards the bad guy who's just going to keep breaking your heart. Um, and so, yeah, the mentors were really important. Also, what I love about that first, the essay I wrote about David Pluff was I got to see him in action all the time. And he was always doing these background briefings, especially um, about the Affordable Care Act and how that would impact elections. He's just a really smart guy, but also very patient, very even keeled and a really good teacher. And so I loved getting to cover his background briefings. But the, the piece of writing I gave him was actually about being on a run outside of Vegas uh, <laughs> and and this guy who's like in his mid 40s or early 50s passes me like blows by me and it's David Pluff and I'm right. like what he's so smart and also so fast this isn't fair <laughs> and so I wrote I you know it's just a couple paragraphs but I gave it to him on his last day because that's what I would do it'd be like well <laughs> they're leaving so even even if they think I'm super weird I never have to see them again and so I gave this piece of writing to David Pluff just hours before he left the White House and he found the time to sit down and write me this quick email but that he sent me before I even got back to my office, just being like, thank you so much. Like, this is going to be so nice to remember. And also, you're a great writer. Keep writing. And I, oh. I, I love that, not just because um, it was so cool for me in that moment, but also I think it's such a great uh demonstration of you can really have an impact just by saying one kind thing to one other person when it would be easier not to or like you know it's hard to make that time and yet he went out of his way to just be like hey keep doing what you're doing like I see you I recognize what you're doing keep doing it and that totally you know that like set me on fire for like the next year I was like David Pluff thinks I can write I have to keep doing it and so it's like those little moments of encouragement are just so incredible they really are. That's 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 such a, a special story. And I mean, it was just honestly like you met you mentioned you're a very low person on the totem pole. And I think for you to sort of go, hey, I'm taking this chance to tell you thank you for this impact that you had. That's kind of a brave thing to do. And I mean, and so much of, of this book is really brave because like um, we 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 live in a particularly politically divisive time right now um probably I mean maybe more so than it has been in years certainly in my lifetime um and even today we're we're, we're dealing with this really sort of violent uh this attempted violence events that that have happened over the past couple of days um so and and we've looked you know at your social media and seen that you know some people haven't been as kind to you about the book um as maybe others. And I was just curious. You know, <laughs> and it's not really, and, and the thing about it is that it's not really a political book per se, mm-hmm. but I'm sure that you anticipated just heaps of negativity from people um, that who just based on who you worked for, um, were not ever going to give you a chance. I mean, how did, were, did you just feel like it was so important you had to tell the story anyway, or did you just kind of like, you know, how did you, how did you decide to, to sort of endure um, months and months of, you know, online duration or whatever? To, to oh, yeah. Well, I just think anyone who's done anything has to take some sort of flack at some point. And so I wasn't writing it, obviously, for the people who, you know, don't like Barack Obama or who are going to write me off no matter what. I wrote it for the people who are like in their 20s, trying to figure out their lives, navigating their first and second jobs. Because what I what I was excited about with my book, and I think how it's different from, you know, the, the political memoir genre in general, is just that 
uh, it's very much a personal young woman story coming of age. And so I wanted to share that with, you know, who would have been my former students. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't at all directed or aimed for these people who weren't going to like it. So yeah, of course, there are going to be people like that. But anyone I admire in the world has taken so much more, you know, flack than I have. So that's sort of the guiding light that it's just like, well, if you're going to do anything, someone's going to hate it and you can't please anyone. And that was a big thing about working for the president was I saw that every day that even when he was working in the best interests of millions and millions of people, some people were just going to hate him, even if they loved his healthcare act or the benefits of healthcare, they weren't going to acknowledge that they liked that he gave them to them. Sure. That's an excellent point. Um, so we have, um, in addition to me, we have some other super fans here in the office and they, um, said, Oh, will you ask her this? Oh, will you ask her this? So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you the question that they, they wanted to ask you that, um, I like Great. the most. Uh, the nicknames that you use in the book are really superb. Um, <laughs> uh, the Rattlers and and uh, there's some other more kind of unflattering ones, but that I want people to read in the book. But um, were those ones that you sort of came up with yourself? Were those things that originated in your head and you sort of limited it to your use? Or were those actually commonly used nicknames around the office? No, I came up with those. I'm very proud of those. That's why that's why I was laughing. So I was like, oh, <laughs> because we do things like, I mean, I think I've, I have worked several jobs and regardless of where your job is, it's like there are people that you love and people who make you laugh every day and you look forward to seeing them. And then there are people who make your life so much more miserable than, they, than it needs to be. And so that was very much just like me getting through that moment in time where I was like, I have to have a nickname for the Rattler, you know, for her real name, because it was just like, oh, it's I, I think when you name something, you kind of give yourself a little bit of agency. And yes. so it was um, it was that way of being like, OK, I can control the situation. I know that even if, you know, she's really important, this is what she is to me. And that was really helpful as sort of like compartmentalizing her ability to impact my day. Did you have a favorite nickname? A favorite nickname? Um, like one you were super proud of yourself for. Well, the Rattler happened when I was there in that moment that I described in the book, and I was really excited about that. I'm trying to think of what other nicknames are there. Oh, I'd have to go get the. I didn't bring the book in here. Yeah, with me. no, I don't. I think. I mean, I call. I I call people names, but I think that's the only one that is that has like a real nickname. <laughs> I guess there's a difference between nicknames and, and just straight up names, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, like executive executive boyfriend. Uh executive boyfriend no it's not executive boyfriend what is it I'm sorry it's been a minute since I read the book yeah so no, I'm no, forgetting no. I'm so sorry okay no. we'll move on it's fine yeah um and then let's see what um so we're we've got a little bit of time so last but certainly not least because you know we are um intensely proud of anyone who comes from Kentucky and and any sort of Kentucky connections we can find um What's the Hunter S. Thompson quote at the beginning about? Tell me why you chose that, because he's from Louisville. You know, he's a Kentucky boy. Yeah. And we'd, like to, we'd like to ask. Yeah. Um, so I just love Hunter S. Thompson. I love Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I read that on a flight on Air Force One, and I was just like, man, I just really get this. And then um, I had it hanging up in my bedroom. I, like, printed it out at my work computer and had that um, – hanging up in my bedroom and every time I looked at it I just cracked up because it's just like such a ridiculous like 
<laughs> stream of consciousness that I really identify with. Um, and so then when I was going over um, epigraphs with my editor, I had like three. Mm-hmm. And that was the third one. <laughs> and every time I started to read it out loud to her, I just started cracking up because it's so ridiculous. And she was like, you should probably just do the one that makes you smile every time you say it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And it, I, I, I love the rebellion of it. And I think it's also a great way to open up the book where it's like, no, this is not your typical White House memoir. Like, here's Hunter S. Thompson telling you to turn the goddamn music up. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Um, and it is a very funny quote. And I'm glad it makes you laugh. There's, I mean, how does anyone's heart feel like, like an alligator? And yet it does. <laughs> and yet it does. Yeah. Well, Beck, thank you so much for 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 joining me today and and talking to me and I look forward to meeting you and sharing your story with readers yeah and um um yep we'll we'll see you soon thank you so much see you soon all right thank you Brooke for Think Humanities I'm Brooke Raby Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org iTunes and SoundCloud